Hello! We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Atwu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today, we will be discussing a very special episode, The Library! <laughs> which I really can't do Sokka's voice, but I'm trying. The Library! Today on my, an attempt. Today on my panel, I have Lindsay. Hi. I have Corey. And I will welcome back a very special guest. Welcome back, Olivia. Thank you. You might remember Olivia from such hits as um, The Waterbending Master. And, well, that's it. That was the only episode she was that, on. that was a masterful episode. Oh, God. The puns. <laughs> there were many. So, without further ado, let us start talking about the library. Lindsay, why don't you kick things off with your initial thoughts for this episode? Oh my fucking god. I remember this episode vaguely, but when I rewatched it, I was just like, um, I was very impressed with it. It's one of those episodes that I always like remember watching too, but when you're watching it again, I'm just like amazed at everything. Like, um, the spirit of the owl and just. It, it's such a strong episode because it starts off as like haha filler kind of like whatever like Sokka's like we're going to a library and then the episode just like gets going and it's it's really good and I think it definitely the ending especially is just incredibly like Oh my god! Like, so many emotions. And I, I don't like the missing Appa arc too much, but that feeling and emotion that you feel at the end of this episode, like, it's it's a really strong episode because it can pull you for the punches. It has the ability to make you feel so many different things. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Corey. Um, fun fact about me, uh, my favorite animal is an owl. Um, Woohoo! So, uh, <laughs> so uh, that should uh, be an indication of how I feel about this episode. Um, I love this owl whose name I'll never remember or care to remember. Wan Shitang, he who knows 10,000. How about things. Wise Old Owl? Wise Old Owl. Well, the owl, the no. owl from the, um, the lollipop commercials. I'll just mention yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, this episode started off like meh um i enjoy the fact that the the archaeologist is voiced by otto's dad from rocket power um, oh my <laughs> god because i like i like rocket power um and everything picked up uh when i made it to the library and i thought Toph was amazing every line she had was hysterical mm. uh and i love really every line of Toph was every, hysterical even when she's talking to Appa. yeah there were some lines at the end that were far from hysterical. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I Appa. <laughs> I was laughing. Ha <laughs> 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 That was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> Appa was stolen. This is, thoughts from, this is thoughts from Aunt Wu. So we know it leads to one of the worst Avatar episodes. Uh, Shut up. It did. It's not real. So being that it's thoughts from Aunt Wu, and I know what that very sad line leads to, it, it made me laugh. So, okay. Um, yes, I very much enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. How about you, Olivia? Um, when I was thinking back to it from when I, I first watched it when I was younger, um, 
Yes, yeah. So I'm going to horribly mispronounce his name. Wan Shitong <laughs> was the coolest part by far. Um, which is why he's nothing like the the, the lollipop owl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but looking back on it now, I feel like I have a very grown-up perspective where I'm just like, hey, you are in a library. <laughs> they need to be way more respectful. <laughs> um, but at the same time... Olivia, um, your English major is showing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's a lot there that I wish I had a little more time to get um, explored and developed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I adore this episode. Um, to be honest, this is an episode that I probably remember better than most. Uh, I really remember this episode well. And for the most part, I think that this does just a fantastic um, episode. Um, there are a lot of things uh, to love about it. Wan Chitan was great. Um, I thought the humor with Sokka was really on point. The ending, as Lindsay brought up, is... Um, is pretty incredible. But for me, probably the best thing about this entire episode is the stylization. The library itself looks incredible, both inside and outside. Uh, the Misty Palms Oasis itself, it actually looks pretty cool. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of little details that are really good. Um, also, just as a kind of an interesting little thing, this is one of the most referenced episodes within The Legend of Korra, because uh, we actually go back to Wan Chitana's library uh, in Korra. We go back to the Misty Palms Oasis in Korra. Uh, so just interesting that like this episode itself was like to some degree, like, so, like, influential in the series of how much it, it, it goes to Korra. And also, in terms of influence on the series, this is the episode that sets up the entirety of the next full season worth of episodes until the, the invasion of the Fire Nation when it comes to the solar eclipse, and the entire rest of this season when it comes to the missing Appa arc. Um, I agree with Corey I, and and Lindsay. I don't particularly love the missing Appa arc. I think that there are some it's some weaknesses there, especially Appa's lost days. But I think that this episode does a really good job, and I think the next like couple of episodes do a really good job of what they should be. Um, and we'll talk about where um, the Appa arc goes. Um, so I think that it's really interesting because Corey I think brought this up kind of in the the opening with um, how the episode starts and it kind of feels like. Oh, this is gonna kind of just be like a bit of a fillery episode, like you know, Ang's playing his little flute with the, uh, you know, our little moles or whatever they the were. Prairie dolls. Um, yes, and then and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. I liked that you get to see a little bit of Ang's love of animals, but more importantly, like how much Ang has traveled the world. That like he knows about something like this, because um, we know Ang has traveled the world a lot, and I think that's kind of a nice little important narrative detail. Uh, but obviously the opening is, is kind of just like a, let's have a little bit of comedy before we go into a pretty, like, serious episode. like narrative, not just serious, but like narrative dense episode. I don't know if I agree with narrative dense. I feel like, well, maybe it's it's got a lot of things that, that need maybe to be Maybe narrative dense, right word, Expedi- exposition dense. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. There's okay. a lot of... The eclipse. This is a major big deal for moving forward. The right. Appa's leaving. That's a major big deal. Like, there's a lot of, like, you need to remember this episode in terms of if you want to understand the entire arc of the show. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by, like, you start, like, very comedic, and then from that point on, it's like, you guys pay attention. Well, what you said was spot on. Um, this episode is the episode. It's almost like the episode in season one with Avatar Roku where that sets up pretty much the entire show. This is probably like the second, or I could even argue the first most important episode where you're right, it sets up so many things. Like the solar eclipse, just about everything else, Appa, obviously, and um, 
you're right. It's just so weird how it goes from Hillary and like kind of. I'm not saying directionless. It's, it's Avatar. They have comedy, but like you know, just lightheartedness to really dark really quickly. And then like when the owl finds out mm -hmm. that they're using the knowledge for personal gain and military strategy, he's scary. Like as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, I was tense when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I remember. Oh yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, once we get down. Um, I do, I really like Misty Palms Oasis. I find it's a really cool place, um, and I like it again when we see it, you know, we see it next series. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Sandmetters themselves are kind of interesting. They are mad uh, they kind of represent a, creepy. Yes, but they represent a very different world. I mean, we, most of the bending that we've seen outside of maybe the swamp is, is pretty pristine it's a lot of like kind of the the martial arts and the upper kind of the upper crust especially like firebending we see like the upper classes kind of learning it and it's kind of interesting to see like on the complete other side of the spectrum in a similar vein to what we saw with the the swamp benders in um in the swamp with waterbending where it's like this is a this is like kind of almost lowbrow earthbending if that makes sense yeah. and much more like earthbending to survive and like adapting to your environment is it bad that I was vaguely annoyed to notice this kind of, uh, I don't know, I feel like we assume that when people live in the desert, they're going to be less, like, cultured and more kind of lowbrow in general. And I was just like, ah, oh, that's... <laughs> I but... think that that's actually totally okay. Mm hmm Because I think that in reality there are reasons for that, that when you're spending most of your time you're spending so much more of your of your time and effort trying to survive because mm -hmm. you don't have the water, you know, easy access to water. I mean, like, if you compare, like, culturally, like, Mesopotamia to Egypt, there's mm -hmm. reasons why Egypt was a much further along because life was a lot easier. You had time to devote to the arts and to writing and things like that. When everyone's just working to survive, it does limit kind of your, like, cultural output, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I think that um, it would be a an interesting challenge as a, from a fantasy world building perspective to see what a culture would like like that would be if kind of like the library you moved underground. You know, <laughs> what would that life be like? Would you have time for things like that in a cooler environment if you tunneled for a living or you know whatever? So it's kind of it's it, it was it was kind of almost a. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? An archetype that was kind of predictable, but was eventually problematic in a very important way. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I just think that it it kind of makes sense that the within the middle of of the Shiwang Desert would be kind of a diff, a hard life, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, I re I also I love like the the people we see in the bar one the drinks are just it looks incredible yes. like, i would love a drink made by a guy cutting up the fruit with a i sword. want it that'd be sick i mean i've had um, drinks like that it just wasn't prepared with a katana then you haven't no, had drinks like katana, that if it hasn't been made by let's be real here fair fair um I also think that from like a purely narrative perspective, seeing Professor Zhang, um, one, I, I, can't, I like him as, just a, as a person, but I also think it, he does a good thing of highlighting the fact that like Aang is the last airbender, there are no more of his kind around, and like 
yes, occasionally, like, we saw it in the very beginning of the show, and people were like, you're the Avatar, but, like, it's it's kind of interesting to see someone reacting to him, not so much as the Avatar, but, like, oh, my God, you're an airbender. Like, I can study you, which makes sense. Like, there are people who are probably, like, writing papers about what the air nomads must have been like 100 years ago that we don't remember anymore because they're all gone. Um, and I think that it's, like, it's, it's, it's interesting to see someone who's just, like, delighted at the fact that, oh, my God, there's this this airbender around and like I can figure out like what their primary agricultural product was. I also think that it would be difficult as the one person remaining in your uh, culture to have the burden of representing them for the rest of history. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you may Mm -hmm. have musicians who had, you know, this particular cultural uh, significance or this historian who contributed this. And meanwhile, you're like this one guy and you're, you're like, um, we make fruit pies. Um, <laughs> you know, it'd be yeah. really difficult. But then we do see later on, like, Aang really steer into this when, you know, he realizes it's his job to carry on the airbending legacy and try and rebuild yeah. the Air Nation. Um, so, I mean, it, I mean, obviously it's a lot different when you're a 12-year-old to when you're an adult. And, mm-hmm. um I also so once he pulled up the map, I I love how cool the the library looks. I mean, I talked about it in the, in the opening, but like seeing it on the map, it's like, oh my god, that thing looks incredible. The library itself. Yeah. Yeah, it looks. Uh, yeah, it looks really. The, in, the interior I like the most actually because it. Oh yeah, the interior mm-hmm. is incredible. But I just just seeing it on the map mm-hmm. is, is or seeing the pic the drawing of it was great. Yeah, the architecture is just oh my god, it's like amazingly beautiful mm-hmm. and then um, Sokka has back to back two great lines obviously he has the, the, the going to the library I referenced earlier but I, I, I really laughed at, at the moment when Toph's like when do I get to pick a vacation and he's like you've got to be lurking here a little bit longer to qualify for vacation time and I just I don't know why I laughed so much at that line that obviously doesn't make any sense and obviously it's like just kind of playing off of you know vacation hours as an adult but like something about that line just made me laugh so hard they have good interactions with each other mm-hmm. and 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 also once they're on Appa the, the, the idea of like the stories that Appa could tell it, it's not wrong like you could speak Appa's language he could tell some quite, quite some stories ready um because like he's, I, he's, he's pretty much has Aang's Aang can tell all the stories for him. It's true. Isn't but he it, older than Aang? No. I don't not, know why I no, thought that. Or they're mm. very similar. Not necessarily. They're probably pretty much the same in age. I mean, it, it's just like, in general, though, like, because, you know, you also forget, even though obviously we know later on they're going to be more Spider-Man's, and, like, you forget that, you know, oh, yeah, there's also no more of these guys. Flying Bison? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. I think they do a great job, and, and obviously this leads more into the next episode, but of making the desert look the, like, how bleak it does. Like, it looks never-ending. It just looks completely, like you know, empty, and... obviously, as a desert should. Mm-hmm. But I think they do a good job of conveying, like, how much this is not, like, you're like, yeah, I don't want to get trapped here. And then you kind of remember, oh, yeah, they're they're going to get trapped here. That, that, that would stink. So at this point, would you say that the Sand people are following them? Because how else would they have found them? Um, 
they might be. I think they. Um, they I might, think they did follow. Them. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, they, they showed an them. interest yeah. in Appa. Right, I was the, thinking, the place. like, watching how far they're traveling, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I, in, <laughs> with how large the desert is, too, like, they clearly show, like, an interest in the flying bison mm-hmm. earlier in the show, and for them to just ha- so happen to come upon them and, like, it's ambush not, them, like, it's, it's mm-hmm. gotta be, like... Yeah. It's not like it'd be hard to follow up, I mean, especially in the desert where there's no, like, there's no way to lose them in the mm-hmm. trees. yeah. Um, Toph has a nice little bit of trolling with her, uh... There it is! Oh my god, that's one of my favorite lines of Toph ever. That's what it would sound like when one of you guys sees it and then just waves her hand in front of her face like, hello! Yeah. She's the MVP, I'm telling you, she Uh, was MVP in the first ten minutes. mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um... And there's something interesting, because obviously you don't think any of, of it the first time you watch it, but, you know, Aang's saying to Appa, like, okay, you know, don't worry, stay here, I'm, you know, I'm never going to let you go underground again. And obviously we saw that a couple, you know, not ten episodes ago back in Cave of Two Lovers, like how freaked out Appa is underground. Um, but, like, thinking about how much that decision, like, affects everything, you know, considering where we're going, like, it's a pretty big deal. And, like, you, you don't realize it, obviously you don't realize it the first time through, like, Oh, yeah, you probably shouldn't have left him alone here, Aang. I don't know. She's with Toph. He's with Toph. That's true. But in general, just it, it, it doesn't work out. I, I mean, I don't think there was any blunder on Aang's side from his... No, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a blunder. It's just a observation of they specifically made the comment of, like, Appa, you can stay here. I know, like, how you... Like, I'm never going to make you go underground again. And Aang thinking, okay, this is the best thing for Appa. Um, like, this is going to keep him from, from having to go through something difficult. And then realizing that it doesn't. Like, it, ad- it adds to the Aang's guilt that we're going to see moving forward. Yeah, I mean, what, like, would he have been better? Not justifiably so, but just in general for Aang just out of curiosity, what's changed history? What would happen if Appa, Appa would not have done well in that library, I don't think? Oh, no. I, I, obviously, there w- this was the only decision. Um, it's just the fact that they specifically remark upon it, right. mm-hmm. I think, adds to the fact that Aang, adds to the guilt that Aang is going to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we're inside, I know we've all said this, but just again, like, God, does it look incredible once we're inside. That library, the amount of effort they put into making it look incredible was, was Beautiful. great. Beautiful. Um... And then enter Wan Chitong, he who knows 10,000 things. Um, this is just another incredible spirit interaction and incarnation. Um, to me, very reminiscent, but very, like, almost on the exact other side of the coin of Ko that we saw early on. And, you know, I, I went on, like, such a rant of how much I loved Ko. And <laughs> Wan Chitong is, is in the same conversation because it's that perfect amount of creepy helpful everything about the way he moves the way he talks his his line his dialogue lines it it all melds together to create this like you're always not sure if this like you don't feel like comfortable in front of him but you also don't feel like oh this is some kind of evil like spirit that's trying to block you like it's walking that line perfectly and i think it's incredibly hard to do because i was not like 
the first time I saw this, I was not 100% sure, like, oh, yeah, he's just definitely going to let them go. And then once he let them go, I wasn't 100% sure that they were going to call. Like, it was this really well done, like, walking that line between, oh, yeah, this is that benevolent spirit that helps you, like, we, you know, like, say, hey, bye eventually is, and the, oh, no, this is the evil spirit that's going to, like, try and, you know, block you at every turn. Essentially the way, unfortunately, Wan Chi Tong is in, in Korra, mm. but that never happened. Mm. To be fair, in so Korra, cool. Korra, like, well, Wan Chi Tong was already, like, burned, like, in this series, so... You don't really. I don't. No, it's it's they're it's different and it's fine. It's not it, that, that's not the problem with that season. I, I'm just saying in general in in this in this season, I think that it's it's in, incredible how well they walk that line between like good at, nah, good and evil are not the right words between like yeah. helpful and uh, like blocking them, um, especially in this opening scene. Yeah. I have a few problems. Not uh, problems is definitely not the word to use, but I have like some inquiries. Like, why does Washington care how knowledge is used, just on an existential level? Like, I was wondering that too. Like, it's knowledge. It could be used to destroy, create anything they, people want. So why does he have? Because he seems like he just collects knowledge, so knowledge can exist. But he seems he he hates the fact that people use it. But he hates the fact people use it because people usually use it to gain an edge. But why does what's who cares? You're in this library all the time. Like, what? what's the difference? The only I, reason I can think of is the fact that the that one wing of the library gets totally burned. And so, you know, like, keeping someone else from knowledge is another way to get that edge on somebody else. So I guess that could be a reason, but he does seem particularly vehement, and he totally seems to ignore the professor, who is obsessed with learning for the sake of learning, yeah. so exactly. it seems like he has some sort of personal inveta that doesn't get really explained. <laughs> I, I think he has a, a serious problem with humans. I think that's mm. a big part of it. Um, we also don't entirely know how the library got um, sunk into the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Maybe it was in response to Zhao burning things down, maybe it's just over the top, like over the years, like humankind has sort of like walked away from knowledge, and it's kind of like forced the library down. I, I think that it's a couple of fold. I think one, the fact is, for for Wan Chi Tong, like he's creating this vast, this sort of vast library, and he doesn't like the idea of like one side using it against somebody else because I think spirits really do believe that they should be staying out of human affairs and like not essentially not taking sides and by allowing like some humans in you're essentially taking sides in a in a human war um i also think that on a certain level for wan chi tong like especially given the state of the world the world right now and you know i think we, we we especially when you realize like how bad things are with the earth king and and, and all the the stuff with the Dai Li, like i think he also probably looks at this war and it's like you know everyone's messed up this is just like there, there's no good there's no good guys here i am staying out of this war altogether and he knows that when people are coming in right now they're probably looking for something to affect the war and I think that's a like, I think that's part of it. Um, and then I don't think, like I said, I think it's just also like mostly just distrust of humans. That he does not trust humans. He doesn't trust humans to to sort of respect. Um, and like 
Look, Sokka does don't. go in and like steals his stuff and knocks steals stuff scrolls over. And, mm. and does stuff and has like I'm not going to respect foxes. And I, and I think if you know maybe it would be a little different if if humans just sort of didn't do this. But it's like Zhao comes in, reads all this stuff, and I mean we don't know for a fact that he knows it, but like Zhao learns not just how to get his enemies, but how to destroy the moon. Like that could have essentially ended the world. Like, like that was such a major event. And I, I have a feeling that Wan Shitang would have known this. Like, because another thing that, that I think is interesting, and I guess we'll just go here, even though it's, it's further on in the episode, but um, the knowledge seekers, um, I think, are very interesting because mm. of you have one that, like, deliberately helps Sokka and seems pretty, like, trying to satiate curiosity and, like, I'm going to help you. And yet, very opposite of, like, the way, like, Wan Tong is acting, um, like, the, the way he feels. And I, I almost get the sense that, like, because the foxes are in the, like, on Earth and, like, wandering around finding knowledge, that they maybe have a little bit more of, like, an appreciation for what the actual state of the world is. And, like, maybe they kind of know, okay, in this case, we should probably be supporting these guys as opposed to, like... The Fire Nation. But we, we confirm the library is in the material world, right? It's in currently it is yeah. in the material so world. He hates humans. Cool. Yep. There's no there's nothing else. The spirits are there's no so what's his, the purpose of his library then? If only only humans are there anyway. Just to collect knowledge. Just 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 to be the great but we also don't know that spirit I mean spirits can get in. Why can't spirits go in? Because the spirits are in the spirit world. Some spirits can cross over. Sure. Mm. I guess. Yeah, it does seem like a very solitary place. And I, I was interpreting it as a very um, kind of almost selfishly motivated thing. Like, I want to stay in the human world so I can gather information about the human world without anybody else actually handing it to me. <laughs> um, which seems almost counterproductive, but I, I mean, if you decide that you hate humans, I guess that works. I don't well, I think it depends on what your goal is if you're Wan Shitang, and if, if your goal is yourself to learn as much as humanly possible and create the great, you know, create this just vast collection of knowledge. I, I think that, like, yes, I think it's selfish. Obviously, you know, I would say you should be sharing as much of what you learn with the world, but I, I think that for, you know, a spirit like this who's probably seen quite a few problems with humans over over time i don't think that he cares really that makes sense cares about what exactly about anything other than collecting knowledge for himself i mean if he didn't care then he would just make sure that sakura left stuff in the library and then just let them leave you know what i mean so it wouldn't matter if they destroyed each other as long as they didn't destroy his library but he was like well you're looking up bad info. Got to try and kill you now. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think I know. I think it's more than I, I think that he really has a very like jaded view of like this is knowledge for knowledge's sake, and like he looks at Sokka and is like, hey, you don't believe that, and eventually, obviously, that's true, and you know, kind of says, no, I am not like you guys lied to me. I'm not taking it, and you're not like. You're not getting out. I'm bringing this library back to the spirit world, and you're not going to be able to use it. And 
Like, I think that that because because also I think that on us another level is like let's say he just lets them leave. They don't take anything out. They go. They win the war. And someone's like, oh well, how did you know about this eclipse? He's like, oh, I found it in the library. And then everyone else is running the to the library, library to find. Ooh. To find ways to like vanquish their enemies, and suddenly you have. But they tons all have of... to bring information, though. Still, I mean, that's well, possible. you can also kind of discern that maybe Wan Chi Tong can deal with few kids, but what if it's suddenly yeah. an army? Mm-hmm. What if the Earth King, like, what if the Earth King marches into the desert with you know thousands, you know hundreds of you know hundreds or thousands of Earthbenders, and is like, let us have you know let us have full access to your library, you know, less he can do. I mean, I suppose... I don't know. I mean, I'm I just... saying, coming from, especially if you're coming from a place where you're extremely jaded about humans and believe that they're, like, all terrible and look to use knowledge to kill people. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, oh, like, oh, Wan Chi Tong's, like, a great, like, totally fine. Um, oh, no, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm interested in him because I think that... The, the times that we see other spirits, from what I'm, and I'm by no means as, as well-versed as y'all are, but from the times that I remember that we converse with spirits or look at them or whatever, they either kind of impede you or they help you out a bit, but they, for the most part, feel like they kind of get humans, they get their nature, and they don't really attempt to change the nature of what it is to be human, just of the people talking to them. So it's interesting that this is a spirit who presumably has all this power, who is a different being, and has, like, anger, who has, like, resentment. That's That feels very new somehow, and I wish that I got a chance to kind of see more of them. I think the fact that this spirit lives in the physical world plays into that. Mm. Because the only other spirit that we've seen in the physical world was when Heibai was in the physical world and basically goes crazy because of actions that humans take. And then obviously Aang is able to, like, calm the spirit down and, and like, you know, turn it back into a more, like, benevolent and helpful spirit. But, like, we've seen what happens when humans burn down a forest. Like, it turns this gentle spirit into this giant monster. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of sad. That makes sense. Um, so switching gears a little bit, unless you guys have more you want to say on, on Wanchi Tong here. If anything, I want to add that he reminds me a lot of No Face from Spirited Away, mm. and that's awesome. <laughs> but No Face is very, I guess, naive by comparison so I don't know they're very different characters also even like the, the character thing. design of the owl and like the design of no face like pretty similar yeah especially like the extended mm-hmm. neck kind of thing anyway but yeah oh my god when uh what what Waji Tong owl g- guy uh when <laughs> <laughs> when he does that neck spin and I was like oh my god it's like uh, the exorcist yes. open here like ah yeah. Even though I know that's what owls do. That's what I was just gonna say. I know. Listen, I know. But so like, it's, make it, it was like, great ah. because he has these markings that look like eyes on the back of his head, so he knows everything because he's got his eyes on you, man. Like, I know. Awesome. And then he just like, turns his head like, "Hello." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> owl." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's- you're like, yeah, that, that's what I had to say. <laughs> no, I think, 
I, I fucking I love owls. I, I said that too. Yeah. We, we, I think this is a very pro owl show. <laughs> yep. Um, Wait, the episode so, or in general? This episode. Well, especially this episode. I was gonna say I was like I don't remember tons of owls. There no, should just, be just more owls. We Always more owls. <laughs> Include more owls. Yes. <laughs> they should uh, revamp the show, like remastered, and then every episode feature an owl somehow. I uh, I disagree. I think yeah, no, not perfect. That. I think it'd be even needed. more perfect CGI, if there CGI were owls. So. I, one thing I did completely did not remember that notice I did not realize they referenced the lion turtles here, and as much as I hate the lion turtles in the finale, was like oh they they reference those here that's nice and it actually looks a lot more like referencing the Wan story than actually referencing what the lion turtle is going to do in the end. Um, I was like, so that was a fun little note. I I honestly did not remember that at all. Um, which compared, I mean, in, for the most part, this episode, I remember, I feel like I remember a lot of things. Um, it's also nice to get one last, like, oh yeah, Zhao. It's been a little while since we've, we've had to talk about Zhao. Corey, anything you want to say about Zhao's, uh, mischievous nature? Um, <laughs> I think I've, uh, told you guys how much I like Zhao. Plenty. Plenty. I know. I didn't This know, is probably okay. your last opportunity, though. Um. I am very sad when uh, Admiral Zhao goes batshit insane in the spirit world, and it ruins my life. Okay. I'm sorry, your life is ruined. He's—he's—it's a terror. He's a very sad life. Yeah. <laughs> Need more owls, I think. Need more owls to replace Admiral Admiral Zhao. When so, owl. <laughs> So, so obviously the uh, we we've talked about how much it, the the library looks great, but even more so the the room with the planetarium like that looks incredibly cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that room so much. Like I I, I would love to just like go there like just in reality. Like I mean I know we have planetariums, but that it just it looks so incredible. I like it because it's more classical, like like mm -hmm. the lower brim technology just makes it look more beautiful than just looks like a real planetarium because yeah. all you know drawing art sketch um, so now we can kind of have our first conversation about something that's going to be a, you know a pretty major thing going forward the the solar eclipse mm -hmm. so how do you guys feel about the solar eclipse being the a taking away firebending and the just entire like kind of plan of you know obviously we, don't, we haven't gotten into the plan of the invasion yet but like just this whole concept like how do you guys feel about I think, that Corey, why don't you start? i think or Lindsay, oh, why don't you I'm start sorry about that. no you it's said, fine no, Lindsay, go okay. ahead no uh, Lindsay, go obnoxious <laughs> no. i'm sorry <laughs> no you're not you're great. it's you're okay Lindsay, start I, I think it makes perfectly logical sense like even katara says like of course when we had the lunar eclipse we like lose our powers and i think and and i remember like zhao mentioned this too like we get our we get our fire from the sun like so to have like this type of reverse thing happening like i think it's perfectly logical and i think it's a great way of like 
really getting going on like setting up for a, a like a reminder really to the viewer like yeah like Aang still has to do this because it's so easy I think to just like get like kind of forget like what he really has to do and when he has to do it but to hear indirect words from Sokka in a couple of months there's going to be a solar eclipse and we know now the impact that solar eclipse will have so I think it's a really good like strategy of incorporating it and I think it works out really strong mm-hmm. Corey, how about you? lore wise it makes perfect sense but it just raises a few questions for me um, can anything block out the sun and take away fire like if you like put something in the sky that blocks out the sun or does it have to be the moon I've always pretty sure it has to be the moon okay because a solar eclipse is actually a Thing. Of course, I know that. But I'm saying, yeah. like, if you block the sun from the sky, man, the man-made device, or is it because, like, there's the, we all know that there's a, a spirit in the moon, so I can understand how a spirit negates, I'm assuming there's a sun spirit, right? I, I would say that because clouds don't block firebending, so I think that oh, it, yeah, it, yeah. yes, so that, I okay, think that yeah. there's spiritual nature so to sure. it. So, sure, okay, so, yeah, I, I think, lore-wise, it's phenomenal, it makes 100% perfect sense. Um, and in a way, even as a kid, I thought this, it, it gives the Fire Nation um, a very unfair advantage considering there's a lot, well, no, actually, it's not really because there's a lot more lunar eclipses that happen. So the Water Nation gets their, their buff more commonly, I guess, but um, very interesting stuff because they only have one day. It's, it's kind of, it kind of, it's really hard to explain because like it's something that, when you look at it at its surface, it's like just for a story plot and puts like a timer on something. It's like a common thing, but it just makes sense just because they already established what the lunar eclipse can do. How about you, Olivia? Um, you know, at first I was thinking like, okay, this feels like a very obvious solution. That makes a lot of sense. But, um, you know, looking back on it, I'm actually thinking back to our discussion about um, Wan Shitong and why he cares and then I'm thinking oh wait duh like during the lunar eclipse like a spirit got hurt like terribly hurt and that was a big deal and it would be interesting if to him they're thinking oh what if we could just take away the sun forever <laughs> um that would be that would make a lot of sense for his reaction and I wish I had thought of that sooner if I had um so yeah that's, that's my input there mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I think that it, I think everything you guys said is, is completely true. Um, but to add, the thing that I also like about it is the fact that even though, yes, the fact that they kind of like stumble into the library is a little bit convenient, the fact that they kind of have to go through quite a bit of effort to, to eventually get this information, like this is after, um, like to eventually get the, the, the actual date of when the eclipse is going to be, they have to, you know, do that and avoid, uh, Wan Chi Tong when he's attacking. Like, it's not like... They kind of just like, yes, on some level they stumbled into it, but it does, it at least feels like they did a little bit more work for the information um, than would have been, you know, sort of, let's say they just like walked into the library. The first thing they read was like, oh, there's a solar eclipse coming. It takes away the fire nation, the firebenders bending, invade tomorrow, that day. And then they left. Like at least there's a lot of effort that was put in. And I think that that's just a very important thing, um, especially in these kind of spirit world-ish um, trips, even though they're not technically in the spirit world. 
Um, the other side that we get here, because this is this is where Wan Chi Tong does attack, um, or, or is I really like the juxtaposition we get between the two, like because we've now like we've really interacted with like three major spirits, Heibai, Ko, and now Wan Chi Tong, and I I love the juxtaposition that like Ko kind of starts out as the kind of darker, more evil, twisted, stealing your face spirit, but in the end just kind of helps Ang and lets him leave and that's that and like mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you really like boil it down like ko was pretty helpful and it worked out and like wan chi tong who kind of starts out as the more like seemingly benevolent yes there's obviously an mm-hmm. undertone of, of threat but like seemingly helpful this is a knowledge spirit and yet that he's the one who actually goes out and attacks and like deliberately tries to to like stop them and i think that's really interesting that they play with the expectations there with these two spirits yeah i definitely agree like at first when you meet washi tong like you're just like oh cool it's an owl a sign of wisdom he runs a library and like obviously you get kind of like creepy vibes from him but like nothing too bad but then when he like flat out like starts attacking everyone and like pecking at them and trying to like kill him like you're just like oh my fucking god like he's really like going for it can I mention how much I love his, like, the way he attacks, by the way? Like, how his neck can extend. It, it's just, like, it combines awesome creepiness with just, like, practicality and, like, just great visuals. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, no even to add to that, I think that it, it really does a good job of kind of having, like, an almost, like, spirit transformation without actually transforming. Mm. Like, we obviously saw with Hei by, like, the two different forms. And, like, there really does feel like two different forms to Wan Shi Tang, like... When when you know when he's attacking with his neck like extended and it just it looks like a completely different spirit and I I think they did a, a fantastic job mm-hmm. with that. Kind of reminds me of like a dragon defending a tower, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. You know, the long mm-hmm. neck. Yeah, I guess I you know there are some shots you get of the full body that look kind of strange because they're imagining him taking up this huge amount of space but they're trying to fit him into these different shots so you can see the kids too <laughs> and it's like man it, it's i guess the only time we see that in other media is with, with like dragons who are pursuing people through a labyrinthine castle or something and that's kind of what this looks like mm-hmm. but I guess so what were you saying I was just going to say I kind of I, I like that because instead of like a princess it's all of knowledge so <laughs> you know mm-hmm. not saving a princess per se right so then we we go outside and and our and our, our lovely friends the sandmenders have uh, showed up and they are they are going after Appa um did you guys have a moment? I, I don't know. I, I don't actually entirely believe this, but it did seem for like a brief second like Appa could have kind of flown away and, and got away. And you know, maybe it's like didn't want to leave Toph alone and didn't want to leave all of them alone, um, which I guess makes sense. But like it was a brief moment. I'm like, I feel like you could have gotten out of that, Appa. Fair. Well, I didn't think about it before, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just my like overall unpleasantness with the Appa, like, you know, the missing Appa plot. And I kind of were like, if only like if Appa had, like, just... flown, like, 15 feet into the air and sat there. And it's like, well, you guys can't really do anything to me now. Mm. 
Um, but what I do really like about this scene, I love Sad Toph. Um, I think that having um, like Toph's kind of you know the the, the little bit of like uh, I'm sorry, Appa, and like seeing her indecision of like do I try and protect Appa, do I try and, or do I let the library drop um, was really like I thought that was really great, and especially considering like we haven't gotten that much of like Toph being like. You know, we've only you know we've only had her for a few episodes, and this is kind of like the real first time you kind of see her like in the group as in the same sort of same place that of the other characters. The same like emotional place. Yes. Okay. Um, like in terms of like I, because obviously that we've seen we've really seen her in two episodes once she's joined the group. The first one was the chase where she's butting heads with everyone. She in some ways deliberately calls out Appa, which was kind of, you know, for the whole shedding thing. And then in Bitter Work, she's obviously clashing with Aang a little bit, trying to teach him the basics mm-hmm. of earthbending. And this is kind of the first time it's just like, they're kind of doing something that's not training, and she has to be, A, forced to make a, like a tough decision, and B, is forced to confront the fact that, like, Appa is her friend, and they lost mm-hmm. Appa. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very interesting that Toph is though obviously like it, for like story purposes because of the whole you know blindness thing it makes sense that it's Tava that it's Toph but it's interesting that it's Toph who's the one who's sort of in this position um, as the new person in the group and obviously it's going to come in a little bit mm-hmm. later when when Aang tries to go after Toph of like you didn't care about Appa you could you know you didn't save him it, it's interesting to me that it's the, oh it's the new person in the group who is put in this difficult position. Yeah, of course. And I think you're right. It's necessary because up to this point, she was she has two personalities. She has, you know, combative Toph, and then there's you know like snarky Toph. And getting like this level of her is something that's very needed for a character. Mm. And also, I mean, she's it's while it's undoubtedly a position that will be sad in either respect. She's made a choice that one I think she sees as is logical and pragmatic but also too she's you know going to great lengths to protect and help them it's she's i think that's a it's a test of loyalty almost in a sense and no matter what her choice will have um hurt somebody's feelings or made somebody think have to question her so no matter what i think she she would have came out um being blamed for something obviously but um another thing that i don't know i've we didn't talk about it earlier when it happened, but I wanted to see what you no, guys thought. Um, so when they're first going in the library and they're like, we love libraries. This is something we take for granted. We, you know. Um, and she kind of has to remind them that there's nothing amusing about a library for her. I, I felt like that was kind of a very understated moment mm-hmm. where we see, wait a second, she's acknowledging that she's missing out on something that they all take for granted that most kids would, you know, be happy to do. And she has to be very literally left out <laughs> because she can't see anything that they're looking up or she can't help them in any other way in there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really true. I mean, I, I noted on that moment that I thought it was also interesting that, like, you're, you're still seeing the adjustments. Like, you know, they're still not fully used to the fact that they're traveling with someone who's blind and, yeah. you know, they didn't immediately realize, like, well, obviously, Toph can't read a book like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, know. obviously, I think that like we fe- we sense the awkwardness of the moment. Like, oh, we should have been more considerate. But also, I f- 
think that that could be a rather emotional moment for her that she, as usual, kind of does not show at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> she yes, kind of tucks that away. She hides all of that inside. Right. As Toph does. She's pretty cool, though. Really. Yeah. I, oh, I no, really no. like the part where she was chilling with Appa and she was like, what's up? <laughs> you like flying? I, was like, I, I loved her with that. I was just like, yes. <laughs> it's, it's like what I would she do when I don't know what do. to do. I'm just like, what's up? <laughs> talk to the best. Yeah, I talk to animals all the time. You'd be less awkward with Hoffa than Toph was. I don't know. Would she? Lindsay, definitely, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So, we are going to get towards the end of the episode. So, finally, we can have our first little discussion. And obviously, I think we've all kind of hinted that we you know the answer to this. But we are now about to start the, the missing Appa plot. So anyone has anything they would like to say at the start of the missing apple pot, now would be the time. Anything at all. About <laughs> what? The missing apple plot. Like, anything anyone well, wants to say as we of time to start th- down this plenty trope. of time about talking about that. Yes, we are. I'm so, really looking, I guess I'm I will really give... I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> anyway, I, hold on. I, you know, I yeah. will say something. It's actually not that awful like by television standards or even by <laughs> avatar standards I, I, just a story that i don't think needed to be told i will i will give my two cents i don't actually mind the missing apple plot that much if you take out Apple's lost days which which i genuinely think is the worst episode of the of the series um i i think it like i, I just i do not like that episode that said i think that the actual like basic narrative especially in desert and then in um in uh, Serpent's Pass, I think works actually worked pretty well and shows one the importance of the animal guide. Um, that you know the animal guide is more than just their mode of transportation. That that Appa mm-hmm. provides quite a bit of emotional support um, on Ang, especially for a kid who's lost his family. Um, and I and I do think that there's there are some some positive things that come out of it. That said, I think that unfortunately the one episode you're going to remember mm-hmm. from the missing Appa plot is. Appa's Lost Days, which is such a weak episode that it kind of drags the entire narrative of it down. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that as we go into desert um, and into you know like cities and walls and secrets and stuff. Um, so I, I, I just want to mention it now, obviously, because we're, we're going into the plot and this is where like where it comes from. That might be why I'm so just so like not that like excited about it i think because the episode you're talking about i think that's what i might just like remember most about it, it it's obviously the, the episode that you remember because it's just you know what yeah. op is doing um but like i i mean we'll talk about it a ton next week but i love ang's like outburst mm-hmm. at the sandbenders next yeah. episode I, I really love that one anything anyone would like to say before we wrap this thing up it's a good show it's a good show Indeed. Um, owl symbolism is awesome. And creepy characters are the best ones. So there. So with that, we will go into our final thoughts and our ratings. I have a returning guest, but I will remind everyone of the rating scale uh, nonetheless. We are rating episodes from a 0 to a 10. 0 being 
a terrible episode, as bad as can possibly be, a 10 being perfection, 5 being 100% average. Uh, again, we were rating against all of television, not just Avatar episodes. So, Corey, you can start us off. Final thoughts and your rating for the library. It's a really good episode. Um, that it's, it's one of those, like, uh, something that takes a while to really pick up pace, but when it picks up pace, you're, you're pretty much glued to the TV. Um, it's a very important episode, and it sets up a lot of things in Avatar, and even, as you said, Korra later on. Um, and it is something that I also remember this episode a lot, and, like, if I think back to season two, I think this episode as one of, like, the most memorable episodes, and that's very much to its positive, and then rewatching it, you kind of notice some of the, the cracks in the glass, there are some filler, there's a few things, and as you said, it's, it's leading to the worst arc in Avatar, and I'm not saying that to insult the show, I'm just saying that I, you're right, I just don't have any interest in it, but it is what it is, and I don't, I don't even take points off the episode for having Appa get kidnapped, because the kidnapping scene alone was very powerful, as you said, because uh, with the way Toph acted. Um, so, with every piece of the puzzle together, I'd say this episode to me is a eight out of ten. Okay, Linz, how are you? Um, going off of what Corey said, I think it really is a good episode, especially just because of its place in a larger sense. It definitely it sets us it sets us up. Yeah, sorry, it sets us up well for knowing about the future eclipse. So we already have that. It does well at connecting larger into the universe with the library. And it definitely, I really like the pace of the episode, how it starts off like light, comedic, and kind of like you don't really know just how dark and serious it's going to get at the end. So when you compare the beginning of like, oh yeah, look, uh, little prairie dogs to, oh God, Appa got fucking kidnapped like it's like a total 180 right there and i think honestly it makes the episode really powerful because you get a little bit of what avatar is known for the comedy but also the serious storytelling um mm -hmm. visually also absolutely amazing with the architecture like the exterior interior and i just i really like the episode i'm gonna have to give it an 8.2 okay how about you olivia um, so I think that, um, there's this delicious creepy factor that's going on in this episode. We have this kind of big revelation, um, and moments where we see new, well, not new sides, but an interesting side to Sokka's character, um, and this beautiful planetarium room. So there's a lot going on. I'm going to be generally a little more severe than you guys though and say that it's probably a six for me um just because like i don't know there there have been other episodes within avatar alone that are utterly chilling and we only get close to that <laughs> um and there are funny moments but there aren't moments that make me die laughing so yeah okay um so I'm going to continue a trend of this week and be the most positive. I really like this episode. I think that there is some really great storytelling in this episode. I think Wan Chi Tong is, is truly incredible. Um, another one of those like incredibly memorable characters from this show that is in one episode, and yet I remember the owl just forever. 
Um, I think the library itself is so unbelievably stylized. I think Sokka's humor is absolutely on point in this episode. Um, and I think it, it, it sets up so much plot going forward. And, you know, yeah, there, there are issues with, Oppa's, with the Oppa plot, but you know what? I'm not going to hold it against in this episode. I'm going to give this episode a 9.2. I think this episode is, is really, really good. Um, maybe not as good as Zuko Alone and Blind Bandit were that, you know, that, that kind of were in the middle of this, uh, of this book. Um, but definitely getting us, getting us really back on track. And I, and I think there's a pretty good run of episodes uh, coming um, with Serpent's Pass and, and the Drill um, coming up soon. Obviously, the, the desert next. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really adored this episode. So, stra- weird that I'm usually not the mm-hmm. most positive, but I guess I'm the most positive for a little while. So, with that, you're going to wrap things up. So, thank you to my lovely panelists, Lindsay and Corey. Yeah, you're welcome. And for my you. I don't guest, know if you can hear and it. my guest Olivia. Always nice to have a guest here. Thank yeah. you. Thank for being you on the show. for guesting. Thank you thank, for allowing me to guest. But of course. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. Um, you should all, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, check out our new Game of Thrones show, which is live Mondays at 8.30. Uh, you can watch that live at twitch.tv slash booradl3y. Uh, the link will be in the description. You can also watch it on our YouTube channel. Uh, we have a YouTube channel for all things Thoughts from Aunt Wu. I might start putting the podcasts up there. I, I haven't decided just yet. Um... As always, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere you can find podcasts. There, It's everywhere. Um, check out our website. All of our content is released on our website. Um, there were quite a few Hearthstone cards announced this week, so expect some Hearthstone oh, content God. coming down the <laughs> pipe. Um, Corey and I might be drinking ourselves into a bit of a stupor yeah. over them, but that's okay. Um, all in all, it should be good. You can follow us on social media. Um, we are Auntu underscore pod on Twitter. You can follow me, stack underscore mode. Uh, Corey, what are you on Twitter? My name. Corey underscore yeah. Hassan. Follow Corey on Twitter. We tweet about lots and lots of stuff. Um, so that's all cool. Um, yeah, so thanks very much, and we will see you guys next week. Thank Bye. You.